And now it's time to welcome our guest for today. Uh, it is a very special guest. He actually got in touch after last year's festival. Uh, he contacted me. He told me that he's a he's a huge film buff. So uh, I always enjoy uh, talking to people who follow the channel. And this guy is a uh, filmmaker and a film critic. So Port Film Co-op, welcome to the show. G'day, Frody. It's uh, great to be here. It's always, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have you on. So uh, could you tell us uh, something about, you know, what your background is with uh, regards to film? Uh, sure. I've done uh, filmmaking. I've worked at festivals um, more in an art film area, more pretentious uh, kind of area. And it's, it's in recent years that I think I've gone back to my roots and, and rediscovered things like uh, Rocky Four, which uh, uh, I think is... Um, like pure cinema, uh, whereas beforehand I was sort of more into European art films and and, and bleakness and, and things like that. And although I still love those things, um, I've started to ponder um, what is good for not, not just in terms of right-wing politics, but mm. what is good for our people, what is good for um, Western nations to consume. And I don't think dark films are the best thing. I think that we need to return to archetypal heroes and uh, Rocky IV is one of the best uh, examples of that because it's such a stripped-down uh, uh, movie. Um, so my background is more highfalutin, more pretentious, um, film festival kind of thing. Um, but I've really returned to popular cinema uh, as uh, uh, my sort of favorite thing and I actually think there's a lot of experimentation, um, avant-garde, uh, and, and just being contemporary. Like a, a film like Rocky IV is so hyper edited for its time it's very mm -hmm. contemporary it's sort of using mtv video aesthetics which are, are it's kind of like avant-garde cinema packaged as a mainstream movie that was the highest grossing film in america uh in 1985 so i love it when uh mainstream cinema and the avant-garde intersect and give us just something that's um visually astounding and i, I think rocky four is a good example it is. It is an interesting film, and I'm glad you picked it um, because it is. I mean, we talked about a lot of '80s classics and films that defined that '80s um, aesthetics on this channel. Lately, we've talked about a bunch of them: Manhunter, films like that, and uh, Scarface, uh, and others. Um, and this is definitely one of them. It has a bunch of montages. We're going to get into the details later. It has the music. It has the visual aspects. It is a Cold War film. This is a film that I saw a bunch of times in the 90s when I was uh, much younger. I haven't seen it for about 20 years. I haven't seen it in 20 years. And when I watched it now, of course, I notice a bunch of other details that I didn't notice back then. I mean, I remember it basically as as seeing it as a kid. I, I haven't watched it again as an adult until now. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. And I agree, it is, it has some interesting elements and it is really, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you talk about textbook story arcs, right? This is it. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty much a textbook, uh, perfect story arc for, for an exciting story that basically goes back to the ancient world in Aristotle. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, in many ways, it's similar to a, a Hong Kong Kung Fu film. It's about honoring your master. See, uh, Apollo Creed, uh, who gets killed early in the film, 
is his master. If you watch the previous film, he helped him uh, defeat someone else. And so what he's doing in this film is uh, honoring his master, which is as, as old an idea of a story as it can get and is universal and all great civilizations will have stories like this. And that's why it resonates um, because it's um, very classical. Mm. It is, it is, yeah, exactly. It's archetypal. It's almost as if it's built into our DNA to to recognize these stories. It's sort of, um, yeah, it, it, it goes back to, um, uh, what's his name, Campbell, people like that who've written about the sort of the elements of a perfect story. And this has basically all of it. It's fantastic. So uh, let's just take it away. Let's start with some of the elements you wanted to bring up about this film. Um. Well, obviously the editing, uh, it's, it's a film uh, that 30% of the film is montage, which is very high. So that's montage to music, either fighting or training to fight or reminiscing about the past. Uh, and it's able to use uh, montage to manipulate our emotions and be evocative, like early in the film um, when he's decided to fight uh, Ivan Drago, the, the Russian who's killed his master. Uh, he goes for a drive in the car. Now, it's not a simple drive in the car. It's a drive in the car with a close-up of Stallone's face, which he always thought was his most powerful asset, was his face. And if you look closely in the film, there's very particular lighting uh, on his face. There's more than one light, and there's a, a certain fill light for the eyes. So, so his face is, is often uh, glowing and seen as uh, uh, lighting uh, a work of art like a statue. And that's what these guys are. These guys are Greek gods in cinema. This is how old um, this is. But the the editing uh, of that scene, which is sim simply a, a drive at night in a in a black sports car, mm -hmm. intercuts with memories of his friend dying, of him be uh, becoming a champion the first time, his wife, his marriage, his children being born, uh, the the subsequent people he's be beaten, all to this a uh, 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 music. Uh, and, and it's it's this great, um, it's like a film clip, like like mm -hmm. a complete film clip. It goes for the entire song, three and a half minutes, of him just pondering all of these things. His wife doesn't want him to go to Russia to fight Ivan Drago, uh, but he must do it. And, and and so he's pondering these things to a sort of um, a power ballad. Uh, yeah. As as the light the lights flicker on his face as. Uh, it, it rapidly edits between these different points in time, just like how we think. So it was kind of uh, uh, trying to be like how we think when we're emotional. We're, we're all over the place. We're about contemporary times. But we're about our um, formation. We're about pivotal moments in our life. And that sequence, uh, which is a really great complex sequence, uh, mm. you know, ties it all together. So what I would like to say is for a film that is made in the uh, Cold War, Mm -hmm. uh, it's using uh, Soviet montage. It's using Eisenstein uh, montage techniques just as much as it's using the slow motion adoration of godlike bodies like uh, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. So it's, it's equal mix Soviet montage and, uh, and, and Lenny uh, Riefenstahl uh, in, in that it's like the ultimate populist propaganda film. And mm. and it's um so and so it uses editing, um like it's intertextual. For instance, so when he first goes home in the film, after this crazy opening where it's using all these different kinds of film styles, his son greets him 
whilst f filming his dad through a, a camcorder, which would have been new technology at the time. He's filming him, so you see through the lens. Uh, and then not shortly after that, you, you, when you hear about Drago, you hear about him uh, by, by them showing the front covers of magazines. So it's all this kind of different um, uh, intertextual mixed, mixed modes uh, to, to kind of build this uh, a swelling story. Right. Um, yeah, d definitely. And, and it, it's sort of like the classic uh, theme of our life flashing before our eyes when we have mm. to do something difficult or when we believe that we're going to die or something like that. And it's also a summary of the previous film. So it reminds the audience of what they've seen so far. It's sort of like in, in the classic uh, TV series intro where you see just a summary of what this happened in the previous episode. Uh, uh, so it's it's a bit of that, and it's the montage, it's the life flashing before our eyes, it's really sort of building the tension, and and th this film, it's really trimmed all the fat away. It's like, I think it's exactly an hour and 30 minutes, and it's trimmed all the fat away, it's really sort of, uh, yeah, it's perfectly populist, just like you say. And, you know, watching it now, I can't think of another film that is more montage heavy than I can think of. It, 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 what do you think? Is, is this like the, the big montage film? Did they, did they do montages in, in Hollywood films in the seventies or, or is this, did it start with, in the eighties with films like this? Um, well, there was a resurgence, uh, but my theory is that uh, montage uh, and, and sort of rapid editing uh, keeps coming back to cinema to revive it, so I mean, it first appeared in in the silent era uh, with the, with the Russians, mm -hmm. uh, and then it reappeared in the French New Wave, um, and, and that influenced early Hollywood stuff like Easy Rider is lots of crazy editing, um, and then I, I believe it came um, uh, in the eighties, uh, but also with a more refined uh, a, a more refined look and aesthetic and, and use of uh, synthesizer music. But yeah, it is the ultimate kind of training montage film, it, except, yeah. may, except maybe some Hong Kong uh, Kung Fu films where someone is training uh, 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 like um, something like a drunken master or something, something like that. So it, it actually shares a lot with um, uh, Hong Kong cinema as well, as well as the uh, uh, German and, and Russian uh, propaganda films. Yeah. And it's, I think it's something that we as a Western audience or as a mainstream audience watching Hollywood films, we associated with action films, Commando, uh, these kinds of action films from the 80s, especially with some uh, yeah, 80s type music, with training, with everything. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Stallone films, Schwarzenegger films, <laughs> those mm -hmm. kinds of films. And I think, I think it's sort of just like you said in the beginning, you know, comparing uh, these kinds of populist films with more pretentious underground films, sometimes we underestimate how well made these mainstream populist action films actually are, because uh, this is an extremely well made film, just like I said, it, it, it hits every sort of every point on the classic story arc, and it trims yeah. away all the fat, it has all the things perfectly in place so i think they're somewhat underestimated yeah yeah like i like i was saying it's that perfect intersection between a highly populist commercial film with uh the avant-garde mm. uh and um th that's what's so enjoyable about it and i do think that we can be film snobs um particularly when we're not confident um we're we're afraid to to uh 
admit liking a popular simple film sometimes. Uh, mm. I, I know in the film scene it can be like that. Mm. Uh, and that, that's why I like that Morgoth, uh, I think he chose the first uh, uh, Ram yeah, the first Rambo yeah, film, First, first Blood. Blood. And that was a yeah. really good episode. And, and he was just being very unpretentious and honest about what his favorite film or one of his favorite films were. And we need more of that. And what does the world need? Does it need more torture porn? Does it need more melancholy? I, I believe that the 80s and films like Rocky IV or Bloodsport, um, they represent a return to order. So we had the 60s and 70s, which were countercultural. It was about basically doing the opposite of every little piece of wisdom we've accrued for thousands of years. And the mm -hmm. 80s was, although very commercial, uh, hyper-commercial, it, it was about a return to order. So the synthesizer is about a return to something that's harmonic rather than the twanging of a guitar. Um, and, and, and the same goes for the visuals. Um, I mentioned MTV, but there's also a strong influence from advertising. Uh, advertising was uh, uh, using a lot of film noir techniques, but, but sort of in color. And so there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot thrown into this film. Like when you were saying it's about, it's so archetypal, it's one of the most archetypal films. It literally bombards you with symbolism again and again and again and again through mm. editing. Like it'll yeah. have him, um, like when he, one of the great aspects of the film is when he goes over to Russia to train for a fight that's on Christmas day. Um, he trains in a humble style in a log cabin in the snow compared mm -hmm. to the kind of like a hyper-technological Ivan Drago, who has a team of scientists around him. Um, it's it's so uh, humble and primal. And there's these wonderful uh, kind of beautiful sections, which are like propaganda, where uh, someone has fallen in the snow with their, with their um, carriage, with the horse, and Rocky, on his jog, stops and, and helps him. You mm. know, it's like a good deed. And, yeah. and I, I swear, like, it... it, it um, it really makes me emotional seeing that. I know, I know what it's doing. It's very simple what yeah. it's doing, but it's making him a very honorable, honorable, self-sacrificing character. He's going over there to fight this fight. He's not being paid for it. Uh, this guy's obviously even out of his weight division, and he's doing this jogging in the snow, and he's just chopping wood and throwing blocks of ice and logs. It, it, it's it, uh, and then it's edited with uh, Ivan Drago, so it's like cross-cutting between this parallel action. Uh, and it, the crescendo is really that mountaintop when he climbs that mountaintop. That's really like the, the the peak of the film. It's it's massive, and it shows Ivan Drago on a running machine, whereas mm. whereas Rocky's actually climbing a real mountain, and it's that <laughs> you know authenticity. So it's a piece of propaganda. This film is a propaganda film. It's, it's oh, in yes. the Cold War, but I would say it's a it's a humanist film. It has a very humanist ending. It's not antagonistic towards the Russians. Um, and it, but it's also very much in touch with the common man, uh, and 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 it it um is quite pure in that storytelling. Even as sort of Christ-like imagery, it shows him praying before before the fight. Also shows him carrying this log on his shoulders in the snow, and he and he falls like Christ uh, walking with the cross. So mm. you know this this film is intense because of its editing. That the film probably could have been two hours, but they've crushed it down to ninety minutes, as you say. Yeah, they trimmed away all the fat. And I, I, I like that you uh, you said many things uh, that, that are worth addressing there. Um, I like especially that you brought up this propaganda aspect because sometimes we underestimate 
um, the talent behind propaganda. We we it's sort of underappreciated in a way. I like watching these films that are obvious propaganda films just for the just for the the the, the craft behind it all. And uh, it's interesting how it changes with time. Uh, Blackpilled made a stream a, a few days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, remember exactly when it was. He brought up a film. Uh, it was an old Batman film from the 40s where they, uh, and this was during the Second World War. And it was obvious, it was like obvious war propaganda against the Japanese. They called them the shifty eyed Japanese uh, owning a shop somewhere. And they're sort of suspicious people. <clears throat> and watching it now, uh, many, many years later, many decades later, we think it's that's sort of crude, but I think that the talent in propaganda is that, well, you, it usually looks crude afterwards, but the talent is making propaganda that works now, that actually impact has the right impact on the audience yeah. watching it now. And inevitably, I think, uh, afterwards is going to look a bit crude. It's going to look out of place. It's going to look, it, it, that's too ham-fisted. That's too in your face. And that's how many of us think of Hollywood films. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It works, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this is exactly, you know, it's this is in the Cold War. And he talks about the, the need for change, that I can change and you can change, like the Soviet Union can change, that is, give up its sort of position in the Cold War. It's so obvious. It's so in your face. But I think it's extremely well done and, and effective at the same time. Well, the film has the perfect placement of being released shortly before uh, the Soviet Union fell. Um, no doubt the film was made in cooperation with the American government. Um, I think, you know, when you're in a war, uh, even a cold, the, the, the Cold War, I think that that's just the way it is. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's a, like, a, like an olive branch or that there is, um, uh, I do think it's a humanist film. Um, and uh, there's plenty of films from the 80s that were very antagonistic towards the Russians. I don't get that from this. Um, I think that this is goes deeper than that. This is, although there's that this big thing surrounding the film, which is the which is the um, the Cold War and, and going to Russia and the Soviet Union. I think mm -hmm. that it it it's it. Um, and you could say that it is uh, pro, of course, pro-American. It's certainly not anti-American, but I think it goes deeper to just the common, common man honor. Your your friend has died, honoring him, and, and uh, you know, which is the, which is the core of any functional society. Mm. So uh, I, it, it's uh, people will always criticize this film for being jingoistic and 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 purely propaganda. It is propaganda. Yeah, uh, it's a gr great example of it, but. Uh, there is more to it than that. Uh, as lean as it is, it, it's it's a very personal story. I think this is like a Frank Capra film. Mm -hmm. it's, it, this is the thing. Although it's got those elements of those propaganda films, its heart is a Frank Capra film. Mm -hmm. it, and I think it is as just as a piece of propaganda. It's more skillfully made than what we get today. And I don't mean that just because you know, because of nostalgia or we think that everything is just downhill and things always get worse. <clears throat> but I think we've seen it in, for example, one thing that we talked about on this channel is that the interest for the Academy Awards, the Oscars, uh, and Hollywood generally has generally gone down 
those films aren't seen as as very interesting anymore, and they don't have the the same wide uh, popular impact yeah. as they did in the eighties. So I think that even from just the 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 point of view of of a craft or of of uh, of a piece of art, really, uh, this is better done than the propaganda they make today. Yeah, the the, the dicing and uh, the dicing and slicing of of imagery is fantastic. There's some um, uh, amazing dissolves of just like a uh, like a punch over a punch over a punch over a punch, and then punching each other, and they're just kind of freeze frames, and another image dissolves in. I mean, it's highly technical, you know, for its time. Uh, this is like a pre-digital um, era edited film, so they, they, they push things pretty advanced. And mm -hmm. um, this is directed by Stallone, and we should maybe talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I wonder how much of that was his choice. It would have to have been because things were shot, obviously, to be edited a certain way as part of a kind of swirling sequence. So mm -hmm. it, it's got to give credit to the to the director here, um, uh, Stallone, to have a vision for a film to be so montage heavy and so strong with its uh, imagery of um, you know physicality and nationalism and. And uh, the, the the sequences in the snow, and obviously it's all the training. Um, it's very interesting that that he is the director of all people to do that, because mm. we just think of him as a meathead. Like yeah. these guys, we don't give them any <laughs> An credit. Action hero. When they've actually directed, uh, you know, advanced films like this, this is this is an advanced example of of um, film form. Uh, and we just think of him as a meathead, but he's actually directed like half a dozen films. And I think this is a, you know, a, a great film. So it's very interesting that he, of all people, you know, makes this film. Mm. And there's especially one montage scene that I, that sort of reminded me of uh, anime films with heroes fighting. And that is uh, in, in the final fight, when you see uh, Ivan Drago's wife in the audience, and then you see this the the boxing sequences stills sort of floating across the screen, superimposed like on, on yeah. top of I don't know what you call it, but th that's sort of typical anime fight uh, hero sequences, right? Yeah, uh, because um, w when I watch anime, and I don't watch a lot, uh, I just watch mm. a lot of a lot of the the just the real classics. Um, it really sh shows. Uh, that you have complete control. It, it, filming is way more difficult, getting things how you want them to look, but you can literally draw um, uh, what you like. And you've talked about Blade Runner recently. You see a lot of some of the zenith of, of these aesthetically strong uh, populist films like um, uh, Blade Runner, Alien, um, and, and yeah, aspects of, of films like this in anime because they uh, anime absorbs a lot of Hollywood uh, and and you, you know it gives it a gives it a kind of twist, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so another thing you brought up um, um, earlier uh, is the the idea of uh, you know the populist film versus the pretentious film, and I do think that this goes through uh, a few stages. First, some people might the first stage is probably that some people might want to come across as more intellectual than they are. And so they want to talk about and sound as if they like these pretentious artsy films. Right. Uh, but they don't really, and they sort of, it's, it's more a matter of them wanting to name drop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, but then the, the next stage is that, you know, we've seen all the Hollywood films, it's the same and it gets boring. So you want, so it's, it's exciting to actually see something new. Right. So, so I think there is, 
at that stage, there's sort of a general, a genuine interest in the more uh, underground or artsy films because at least there's some element of of surprise there because you don't know exactly what to expect. Most Hollywood films are just it's just the same film over and over again with same the same but different actors and different characters, right? But it's pretty much the same thing. Whereas in other films, you get you get some some sort of element of surprise. But then I think after that. Uh, the, the, you you can sort of reach a more relaxed stage where you appreciate you know art films for what they are for the skill uh, and sort of groundbreaking um, the sort of pioneering element in them, but also go back to enjoying classics and and more populist films for the actual entertainment and just relaxed entertainment in them um, b because you know it, it's it's sort of like ridiculous when people think that. Uh, a writer like um, Stephen King or someone else has no talent when they're, they're some of the most um, when some some of the most sort of best-selling writers in in history. So I mean, mm. it takes different kinds of talent to um, to create something that is populist, reaches the masses, and something that just reaches the intellectuals. And I think that the perfect, uh, I think the sweet spot is sort of the, the the intersection between those things, and you mm. know, you, you get things like Twin Peaks, for example, which ha obviously has very populist. It's it's like a it's like the classic soap opera on TV, but with some artistic elements. And I think that is when you hit the magic. Yeah, um, I, I would say some films that are, uh, cont like uh, contemporaries of what we're talking about in regards to Rocky Four would be. Uh, Top Gun and Bloodsport. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, I would say okay. Right, right now, like we know Hollywood sucks, and it doesn't make these kinds of films. Uh, ho Hollywood has gone in a very different direction, um, and and I would say that if you love cinema, you almost need to check out and and leave the mainstream right now, and just make sure you've seen all the classics, and maybe yeah. see some of those mainstream films that uh, that you kind of dismissed. I remember certainly when I was young and becoming a film buff and, and uh, hanging out with uh, film student friends and things like that, uh, that we wouldn't talk about Rocky Four. We wouldn't talk about those kinds of things. Uh, I think we did sincerely enjoy watching uh, art films, but that was also because we were young uh, and, mm. and we liked bleakness because you're naturally kind of morose when you're you know a teenager or early 20s. And I just actually found that art films are just as cliched as populist films. Um, mm. And now, because of their sort of, um, uh, they are a form of propaganda as well. They're just just different. They're propaganda for something else. Uh, they they're they're so cliched and sort of unwatchable that I would rather go back and watch, you know, all the early Steven Seagal films and go, wait a minute, these films are really well made. These are just mm. really strong films. And then you find out Seagal himself actually had a large hand. In the scripts and the kinds of projects that were were chosen, um, and, and you realize, like people like Stallone and Seagal are kind of like meta auteurs. Now, mm -hmm. Stallone, both of them have have directed films, but because they're big stars, they don't even need to direct a film to have influence over it. Uh, the, with their star power, they can change the script. So, something like Stallone in the first Rambo film, Rambo is meant to die. You know, Rambo's meant to have killed five cops in that film. Mm. He had the kind of savvy to live at the end, not kill as, as many cops, actually not kill any cops, that, that, mm. that they will die accidentally because he, he kind of had a, um, 
a, a vision that this character could be redeemed and, and didn't need to die at the end. Mm -hmm. And so the, these guys are sort of, um, uh, I call them meta auteurs because they're, they're particularly Stallone. I mean, they brought cinema back to about the physical body. Mm -hmm. So they took it back to classical art. That's really where the archetype lies. Uh, all the narrative around it uh, is important too, but it, it was simply about uh, men conquering and men being strong and men having mm -hmm. families and all those things. We need this now mm -hmm. because our birth rates are low. Like we're not functioning as a society. And then you just look at, well, what, what, are, we, what, is, what are we consuming? We're consuming rubbish. So anyone that has Netflix is um, missing the point. Uh, mm. uh, it, it's t it's time to discover the, the classics, and you don't have to go that far in the past. Even the '90s and the 2000s has some good entertainment, but also there there are some new things I think being made. Um, not so much on YouTube now that 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 YouTube is cracking down on creators, but there there is a small scene uh, that's making memes, shorts, videos, streams that you you can that you can kind of uh, delve into. So it's nice to be, uh, to enjoy something contemporary, but unfortunately you're just not going to find it in cinema. So you, mm. you need to find streamers and things like your program. Um, th that's what a healthy diet is now, I think, is is um, getting out of the mainstream in terms of what's happening now, but enjoying classical stuff from the past. Mm, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, and I think... Uh... Uh, I mean, not not to not to stay too long on the point, but I think that's a lot of. Uh, it's the same thing with film uh, makers and writers and anyone, any creative person, really. I think that a lot of creative people, a lot of writers, they they like to write for other writers, right? And the same thing with people who like, you know, who who are too pretentious in a way. They just want to make films that appeal to other filmmakers because look at what I can do. But I think that the underestimated talent and and the, what what we really would need as a sort of a right wing avant garde is the talent and the skills to create things that appeal to the sort of semi uninterested masses that are not interested in film and not interested in literature Populist per se. Populist entertainment, and that takes talent. I mean, it's uh, you know to 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 just repeat it again that. It, it, you just because it's easy to like and it's easy to watch, people think it's easy to make, and and you don't need talent to make it. But that's not true. That also takes it takes maybe a different kind of talent, but it's it's definitely impressive. People who can produce these perfect things um, that that just appeal to you on a on a sort of instinctual level because they've pinpointed those instincts in you. Well, yeah, yeah, like Stallone's body, for example, mm. like getting into the um, uh, amazing immaculate shape. Like he, he turned his body into a work of art for films like this and the uh, uh, Rambo Two. Uh, absolutely, and, and there's something to be said for those people in the left wing art cliques. The fact that they can't enjoy a film like this shows how much they've lost the common touch, and they're out of touch with the average person. Because mm. when you talk to people about Rocky Four. Everyone loves it. Mm. It, it. It's a very popular film. It, it was. It's the highest grossing Rocky film. Uh, you, you know, people voted with their with their wallets. People wanted to see this again and again, uh, and the, the, and they just happened to want to see a, a really uh, intensely edited 
you know, avant-garde montage film. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> like, that's great for art. That's great that that this this um, uh, wasn't beyond the palette of the common person. You, you mm. know, this this is a, a positive story. And you, you look at things like uh, Top Gun. I mean, uh, Tony Scott, who, who made Top Gun, he was fired from that film three times, or, or, all for aesthetic choices that that were mm -hmm. not commercial. Um, but they were commercial. Uh, they just didn't know it yet. Uh, mm. Like uh, it's it's crazy that these hyper commercial films were made by people with these, you know, astounding, ambitious, you know, visions. You, you know, and mm. that they were taking from classical art. I think Tony Scott takes a lot from uh, you know the the the, uh, the paintings of Turner and using atmosphere and uh, like smoke and and things like that, like his brother. I mean, the 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 days of dismissing, you know, major, even something like Die Hard. A Die Hard is a symphony. The the way that it's shot and edited is like a graceful symphony. The way we we pirouette through this building, it's. I mean, this is high art, and and, mm. and I think that the 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 right wing is a little too uh, obsessed with bleakness, um, horror films, uh, and overtly political stuff, and and not just entertainment. Stuff that mm. if an eight-year-old watches it, they learn something uh, about archetypes, or they have something reinforced that's binary. You know that 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 it has moral clarity. You know, so I th I think um, uh, yeah, that's why you can't kill these films. That's why they're constantly available on DVD because because pe uh, you know people want to watch them. Another theme that I've talked about a lot on this channel is the mysterious transition from the eighties ethos to the 90s ethos sort of like from the <laughs> i don't know the sort of will to life and like uh, guns and roses to uh, and sort of enthusiasm and, and that kind of rock to the depressing nirvana and, and grunge and that kind of stuff and, and that is also in films i think uh, this is a perfect example of the the uh the vitality in the 80s ethos. I, I love the, uh, one of the great characters in Rocky IV is uh, Duke. Is it Duke? His his old trainer, right? Um, yeah. Who gives these speeches, and I love those speeches. You know, these short sort of pep talks, but sort of if they would have been done today or a bit later, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later, they wouldn't have had the same energy. It's like the the films made uh, in in the late '90s. It's like the this sort of the irony and the nihilism crept in there. And and whereas in the '80s you still have um, sort of uncontaminated enthusiasm and sort of uh, sincerity. Uh, sincerity, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and uh, that's why the pep talks actually work in this film because they're sincere. They're, yeah. they're not apologetic and you know hiding behind irony, irony bros, right? Yeah, th this is Rocky is a very sincere character. He wouldn't even necessarily know what irony is, and that's what makes him, uh, you know, like a wonderful character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and uh, you know. Uh, it's. I think it is. It is. Uh, it is sad that people. You know, people probably watching it now. I mean, even I, at on some level, because I'm so immersed in in today's 
you know, well, today's culture, but we live in the world we live in, right? And and we're we're sort of infected by it as well. And even I think that's oh, that's that's a bit cheesy, but that's a sad state of affairs that we think that these sincere moments are a bit cheesy because we're so yeah. used to seeing uh, nihilism in film. Yeah, but you can un you can unlearn that, and th that's what I would say I've done over a course of years is um, I've unlearned the uh, ironic response and enjoying oh, yeah. things uh, for, for their ironic value. I used to do that a lot, and I think that's an adolescent thing to do, and I've moved past it, and I've mm. and I've always said that irony is easy because you can just say it's meant to be bad, but, mm. you know, sincerity is the hard thing because that's when you can fall on your uh, face. That's when you're taking a real risk. And so um, I can watch a lot of entertainment that people would con consider is poor quality because of how simple and sincere it is, but I mm. enjoy it because that's what I believe a lot of storytelling should be and needs to be for any successful group of people. Like it can't be always be cerebral, dark, gloomy things. I mean, what is that going to do for the masters? And so yeah. it, 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 in a way, if you care about people, you, you care about um, storytelling. And now like cinema and Netflix and things like that have a monopoly on storytelling, which used to be around the campfire, but now we watch it, you know, from a, a kind of flickering screen. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, it's it's important um, that we don't uh, uh, allow people to have a monopoly on storytelling who are degrading our society. So um, I, I think the first thing you gotta do to enjoy cinema is get rid of the irony response of everything and be able to enjoy something. Even, I saw Rocky IV first when I was 10, and I remember, mm standing up and going, go Rocky, go Rocky. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad watching it um, with his arms crossed going, they're not even in the same weight division. It doesn't even make any sense. You know, mm. like, but, but, <laughs> but, but I didn't care. You know, like I, as a kid, it was such a powerful, it was such a powerful film and it remains powerful after maybe 10 years immersed in art cinema to return to it and to not only find that it's as good as I remembered, but now that, now that I have a, a, a more of an appreciation for the craft of cinema, to look at the actual craft and, and vision for the film, it's, um, it's wonderful to return to. I mean, what was it like for you? You didn't see it for how long? 10 or 20 years? 20 years probably, yeah. No, I loved it. And I was just, I was, you know, looking at it with... So when I saw it first, you know, in the '90s, when I was when I was uh, uh, a kiddo, that of course I saw it with spontaneous eyes. I just got the emotions that the filmmakers wanted me to get, and, and you know, I got the experience. But now I saw it; I got the experience, of course. But I also saw just the the talent uh, behind, mm. just just how well and how perfect it was made. So yeah, I I, I did get that the 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 feelings. Uh, but I, I saw it at also on a sort of a meta level, uh, the the intention behind the film as well. That's sort of what I because I am impressed. Uh, I mean, I I I, re I read everything from you know the left to the right, and I am impressed by talent and and craft craftsmanship, mm -hmm. right? No matter what it is, and I was just super impressed by the craftsmanship uh, that's gone into making this film. I think they needed to make this a high concept film because it was the fourth film in the series, like a, mm. uh, a, a, a sequel so deep into the series. I think they needed to do something quite different. And um, as, so that's, 
it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that a film can be so popular and it's Rocky four, you know, like it's not, it's not Rocky two. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's unusual. unusual. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No. And, and speaking about the, the irony and the irony versus sincerity, <clears throat> this is something that I've been saying for years, you know, people have, um, a lot of people have have brought up the fact that the, the right wing movement has made a lot of progress since you know in the last twenty years, and it has. I mean, we reach a hundred times more people now, so so we have made some progress in terms of reaching people. We, but we've also lost something because what I knew back in the nineties or late nineties when I got involved was the sincerity. People thought that this was a life and death matter. It was like a religious cause. Whereas yeah. now a lot of the people hiding behind anonymity, and I don't, I've said this a hundred times before, I don't complain about anonymity per se, but it is when people create that persona that they wouldn't be in real life when they create this sarcastic, ironic persona, then it becomes degenerative. And, and I think that we've lost some of that just sincere belief yeah. and we and a lot of the sort of the forum culture and the meme culture it has a place it has a function but it can't replace the real thing that's underneath because if it does that then it just becomes a part of the same bullshit nihilism that that is the rest of the modern world and that's why i hate the sort of the just the negativity and the just the complaining and the just sarcasm, the the snarkiness and everything. Because if you're not able to put your heart on the line and and you know put your head on the chopping block for what you believe in, then then something is lost. Yeah, uh, might be a good segue to actually talk about memes because I actually think that um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of irony in memes. There's a lot of you know um, shit posting and it's. Uh, it's a, it's a joke, but there are some memes that are short, short videos that that I believe are sort of moving into an area that is like post ironic, and and are actually very sincere. Uh, some of them are hyperborean. Some of them are using sort of Ryan Gosling, because uh, Ryan Gosling is like the Bristonian face that we can project our uh, feelings onto. Like he's like a blank canvas because of his very very um, internalized acting style. So I've mm -hmm. seen some really interesting memes that are, um, there's one where he's holding a monkey, right? Uh, and there's this uh, synth, very melancholic synth uh, track playing. And then behind him is, is like a rapidly edited shots of Europe um, that, that are painted, uh, like Europe or a, a reimagined Europe with um, woolly mammoths and things like that. And so what it's doing is it's using the return to monkey meme, which on the surface is like a funny joke. Like we have failed as a people, we need to return to the ways of, of being a monkey. Um, but really what that means is we have hit the end of culture and we need to, we, 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 we have failed and we just need to regain wisdom. And so in behind Ryan Gosling in this meme, which is just a 50 second meme, are mm. all these shots of, of Europe and people working hard and surviving in the snow. Mm. And so I think that uh, we do need to start talking about memes in a serious way, uh, almost in an academic way, because we cannot trust the universities to do this. They're not going to mm. touch right-wing meme culture with any uh, seriousness. So we need to start talking about um, s some of the green shoots um, of, of growth, of actual sincere art that's of all places coming out of meme culture, which is supposed to be ironic 
um, but is actually uh, showing some uh, signs of you know life as, as being seriously artistic. So mm. it's very inter interesting time. Like I, I believe that in ten years, a lot of this will be talked about. Um, but right now, because we're living it, we just take for granted that memes exist and they're kind of throwaway. But there is interesting things happening right now in our culture, and they should be talked about more. Um, and we should be rejecting Netflix, and and people have, uh, people have started rejecting Netflix, and they'll watch the, those people on Omegle. But all mm -hmm. those people on Omegle are getting raided by the FBI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like like these are the people that are pushing boundaries, and in time, uh, people will study those people on Omegle, like the a Gypsy Crusader and Cami. Uh, and and TJ, they will be looking at those in a serious academic way because they are influential on the culture and they are being artistic. They are using blue, uh, like green screens and costume uh, and music. And then um, in, in in chat roulette, which is a medium where they're chatting to strangers randomly on the, on the internet, are confronting them with uh, you know all kinds of. I guess shocking racism and sh shocking other things, but this is art. It's crude, but it's art, mm. and it needs to be talked about. Th this stuff is more ironic, um, but but th but there is stuff happening. Uh, but my main point was that there is sincere art coming through uh, meme meme culture, which is, you know, it's a positive thing. Mm. <clears throat> exactly, and I'm I'm not against memes or the meme culture or the, the online con culture at all. Uh, I, I'm not saying that at all. I just uh, think that there's something lost if it stops there, and it, it and and then we're already dead in in the sort of nihilistic hell that we're in if it stops at the trivial, right? And I think that for too many people, it stops at the trivial, and that is, I mean, if if there's anything I want to do with my projects and with what I do is I want to move, try to sort of force people almost to move beyond the trivial and go into some deeper levels of understanding of things rather than just, because the trivial is reactionary in a way. And if we stop there, then we've already lost. If we're all, if we're only reactionary and just, um, you know, uh, memeing about everything that's gone wrong. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the mm -hmm. first step. That's an important step. But all I'm saying is we can't let it stop there. We can't let it stop at the trivial. In a funny way, it doesn't. Need, it, it, it needs to start memeing into solutions. Uh, mm. And it, it does do that to an extent. Um, uh, but it, it, it then needs to become other art forms. It needs to become books. It needs to become all these things. And it, to an extent, it does. It's sort of on the fringe. I would say that we're in a period of sort of rebuilding a separate culture right now. Like that's trying mm. to be separate um, and it can't be cancelled, it can't be closed down. And, and mm. so there's always going to be lag. There's always going to be time delay on these projects coming about. You know, I'm involved in, in some things that are, you know, trying to do this, and they take time. They take one, two, or three years sometimes, mm. um, you, you know, to make a feature film or to, to make a book. Um, mm. And they, they can't just be, like, right-wing. Like, like, they can't just be... Sometimes they just need to be wholesome. Sometimes they just need to be um, classical. Mm. It doesn't all need to be sort of radically political, but in, yeah. in in the modern context, something that is wholesome and traditional is radical. So um, that that's that's the the confusing mess that we're in. Mm, definitely, yes. Yes, uh, so we've been going for about 50 minutes. I like to keep these conversations um, around an hour, under an hour. Uh, so are there any final thoughts that you want to bring out uh, in, in Rocky IV before we wrap this up? 
Uh, just that it's a great film to revisit. You don't need to have seen any of the prior Rocky films because it's such an editing marvel. It actually has montages that told you everything that happened in his life before before this film, uh, mm. all the relevant information in an entertaining, uh, you know, sort of quickly edited way. So um, it's a film you can go straight to. Uh, and it's a real film of the 80s where I would say the other films uh, are much more films of the, of the 70s. But this, this one was very much a, a sort of contemporary film um, at the time. Um, I, I would also say to people, um, don't use streaming services and rediscover physical media. I think that when we don't have physical media, we're losing part of ourself that's human. Uh, and that there's great pleasure in having a physical copy of something that's a legitimate copy uh, where you can share with someone you care about um, and uh, you can build a library. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, cinephilia, being a, a film buff is a, is a great journey. Uh, and, and it's just like uh, if, you, if you like literature, you collect books. Well, if you love cinema, you should really collect films. Right. I agree. I agree definitely. Um, I think a lot is lost when when things become too available and <laughs> just a click away. I think we appreciate things when we own them, for sure. I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, so so thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and uh, I enjoy talking about the, the the popular film. I'm happy about that element of this particular the Cameron Film Festival that we've had a lot of action classic. Predator, Alien, uh, and and uh, Rambo, and now Rocky as well. Uh, so <laughs> I really like that about this year's festival. Thanks for so, having me on, Freddy. It's uh, uh, it's been really good. Thank you so much, and and I want to thank everyone who has been uh, who's been watching, watching live. Everyone who's been active in the comments, who sent donations. We got some super chats, but I think those super chats were meant for the AMA later tonight. So I'm going to read them then instead. Uh, so I just want to go through some links. You can find the schedule on gtkmedia.org forward slash decameron. You can always send questions and also questions for the AMA later tonight on entropystream.live forward slash gtk. We have a new morning show, Wake Up on the Right Side. You can follow us on Telegram at Wake Up Right. And of course, the main Telegram channel is Guide to Culture, Guide to K-U-L-C-H-U-R. Uh, and of course, if you want to support the show, we do depend, the channel depends on your support. You can go to gtkmedia.org forward slash donate. We have a fundraiser going and uh, you can help us out through entropy. You can help us out through crypto. I was just going to say thank you so much. <laughs>